Good morning, friends. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 this morning as we continue uh, as we continue these thoughts about the victory that we have because of what God did through Jesus on the cross and because of what Jesus did, that Jesus was not a passive sacrifice to um, simply to, to dispense with the, with the uncontrollable rage of God. Uh, no, the, the reality is, is much greater than that. And it's, it is that Jesus is a willing sacrifice. And that he goes to the cross in obedience. And that you and I are not just set free so that we don't have to worry about the penalties of sin. You and I are set free from the power of sin. We are set free from the result of sin destroying ourselves and this world. And that's once and for all. And yet for us, we experience it every day when we turn to him as our rescuer and our liberator. We use the term a lot that Jesus is our savior. And I, I don't know if we stop and think about what that term means, a savior. Because I, th- I think that savior has become encrusted with the uh, gold and jewelry of religion. So that the only time we ever really use the word savior is in a church context. And we always know that it means Jesus Christ. And it's like saying Lord. We say Lord, but do we really understand that what it means is king. It means the one that we, that we honor and the one that we obey. Do we understand that a Savior means that you and I had to be rescued and that we still need to be rescued and we have somebody who's come to our aid, defended us, protected us, changed us, given us new life? That's victory. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would teach us today from your word. We ask that you would make yourself known to us. As a living rescuer, a living savior, a liberator. And Father, teach us as a people and as individuals to experience freedom from the power of sin that wrecks our lives and destroys this world and keeps us all bound and captive to condemnation, shame, and guilt. And Father, I pray that we would live holy and obedient lives knowing that you are our champion, you are our liberator, you are the one who has destroyed the works of the devil. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So in Hebrews chapter 2, picking up in verse 14, um, and Hebrews, by the way, it's not a letter, it's a sermon It's a sermon. It's a great sermon. And the preacher started off with the text and he's telling you all about the the wonderful situation that we're in, that God's made himself known to us of all things through his son. And and he says, that's never happened before, but now it's happened. this This is just amazing. So right there in the midst of it is he's unpacking what that means. He says, because God's children, that's us, 
are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son of God also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Now only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing He is able to help us when we are being tested. So what is this scripture teaching us? What is the preacher in Hebrews trying to say to us? Well, it's it's very similar to what we read two weeks ago in 1 John 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I think that's a very important statement in 1 John 3.8. Because sometimes we, we... we walk along with the idea, we go, along, we go on about our lives with the idea that uh, Jesus is just sort of there in the background. He's, he's, that, uh, he's that, uh, that poor, unfortunate, dead man on the cross that had to die so that everything can be better now, but we're very thankful. And so we treat him like the, the honored dead, and we, you know, we're here every Sunday to salute you, Jesus, and to say thank you for your sacrifice We wouldn't be the same without it, but I don't think we stop and realize that there's much more going on there than a payoff. And this isn't just a payoff because God is somehow unable to deal with sin. This is God himself working through his son, Jesus Christ, to destroy the work of the evil one. This is is war. And this is the victory that ends the war. Now in Hebrews, the the preacher in Hebrews seems to understand what John writes in 1 John chapter 3. But there's a few things added to it. And and if you you asked me what the scripture is trying to teach us, I'd say there's five things here. Number one, Jesus shares in our humanity. That was emphasized. And that's important. It's an important point. Now, if you, if you look at the, the prelude to those verses, there's a lot of talk about uh, prophets and writings and angels and all these heavenly beings. Jesus is unique in that he comes down to our level and shares in the flesh and blood reality that you and I live in. He shares in it. And that becomes important. And you might be thinking, well, why does he have to do that? Why couldn't God just skywrite and tell everybody, here's the rules? You know, why couldn't God just sort of, you know, why didn't God just carve, why didn't he just kind of reduce it down, let's say maybe to a few words, a simple rule, carve it on the moon, and then about every four weeks we would see it and say, you know, God said this, didn't he? Well, I mean, I mean you can't, can't argue with that. Of course, knowing us, we'd be going, ah, it was aliens. It was aliens that did that. You know, we, we can't seem to get away from the aliens. And we, uh, the, the, the reason is because God's 
message and his care and his love is not limited to him being in outer space and far away from us and in some other dimension or unreachable. He came to us. He shares in this flesh and blood reality and draws near to us. But he shares in it as well, and because of that, he experiences the same problem that you and I do with this flesh and blood existence, which is death. And death comes up a lot in Hebrews chapter 2. He shares in the flesh and blood reality. He experiences death. And it's only by dying. I mean, the reason why he becomes flesh and blood is so he can die. But it's, it's not just that, okay, he's born to die and that's it. He has to share in the experience of death because that is not a thing that God does. And have you ever stopped and thought about this? This is what makes our God, this is what makes Jesus our, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, unique. Is that he experiences death. Now, you'll say, oh wait, there's other stories of gods that die and come back. Yeah, yeah, there are. But every one of them is like a magician doing a magic trick. You know the end of the story, and we think, oh, well, you know, yeah, that God's going to die. He's going to do this, but he comes back. It's just like the sun. It comes back after every night, you know, and there's some kind of mythology wrapped up in it. And there's not really any tension there. It's like a magician. If you've ever watched the, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't see, I don't even know who the current magician is these days. I think, you know, it used to be in my day with David Copperfield and then, then uh, if you really wanted to go back, who was the guy with the rainbows? That was Doug Henning. Oh, that was a, you know, go back and Google that sometime. Not right now, okay? Don't do it right now. You do it later today when you're trying to uh, regain that hour that you lost. But, um, you know, even going back to Houdini, I mean, they have these death-defying magic tricks, and it's like, oh, no, he's going to drown in that casket of water that they've covered up with a curtain. Oh, I hope he gets out of there. You are fascinated by the magic trick, but, but really, you have to be the most naive person that ever lived if you really think that there's any ever real danger to it all, you know. Uh, Houdini probably came closest, and... Uh, he, he ends up dying because someone punches him in the gut and he gets appendicitis. I mean, the big deal, it was on a street somewhere. The, we tend to do that with the death of Jesus. Oh, well, you know, yeah, he's got to die. We know that. He's got to die. It's all part of the game plan. It's a sacrifice play. But he's going to be okay because uh, he's got nothing to worry about. He's going to come right back. And that's not the gospel. Hebrews even says he became like us in every way. He was subject to the rule of death in this world. When Jesus dies, when he is crucified, Jesus, the man Jesus, for all he knows, he will stay dead. He has faith that he will not. He trusts in God that God's power will raise him from the dead, that God's justice will will raise him from the dead. But he himself does not retain that authority over death, not until after he is exalted. I think that's important. Because in overcoming death, what he does is he breaks the system of death. 
He creates a new option, a new opportunity that has never existed. That there is this obedient one who trusts in God. And because of that, there's one that the devil cannot claim for his territory. There's, there's, there's one then who doesn't belong. There's one who dies, who experiences death, but doesn't rightfully belong to the kingdom of death. Let me, let me try to put it to you like this. You know, our government tells us that when we go to other countries, we are American citizens. We're, you're still an American citizen. T- today at the end of service, we're going to have all of the... Uh, uh, Guatemala team, it's going to Guatemala this weekend, come up here, and they're going to be in another nation outside the boundaries of the United States of America, but they will still be American citizens. However, they will be subject to the laws of Guatemala. And our government says, even when you go to that foreign country, you have to respect the laws of that territory. And yet we retain our citizenship as Americans. And sometimes that makes a difference. Jesus Christ is God coming to this world and submitting himself to the rule of death in this world. Satan has gained dominion over this world because of sin. And because of that, look at the way he's described here in Hebrews. The rule of death. How did it, how did it say this? Um, only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. The devil is the one who's been given this power over death. He, he saw an opportunity. He took advantage of God's children. And he exercised authority over it. Now, you know, people say, well, wait, did God give him that authority? To... Don't worry about that. The point is, the devil has that power over death. And in many ways, he is an usurper. He is one that took advantage of the situation And in some ways, church, we gave it to him because we believed his lies. Now, again, this is, you know, we can get into the the cosmic reality of all of this. And however you want to say we got there or we got into this mess, we can debate that. But I will tell you this. However we got there, however it happened in the universe on the cosmic level... It's over because Jesus liberated us. He broke that power. He broke that rule. So, you know, I, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong about my theories of how we got there. Okay, but I know what I'm not wrong about. Jesus defeats the devil. Jesus destroys the devil's work. There you go. Now that one seems pretty clear. Did you notice how the devil was named, though? Again, the one who had the power of death. We look at the story of 
the, the liar, the snake, the serpent, and Adam and Eve. And he lies to them and he tells them that they can be God. And because of that, they sin. And sin continues to break down the world. It throws violence into the world. It makes us think that we can become our own gods. And it's not just because of what happened then and there that we continue to live under this rule of death in fear. It's because of the things that we do every day to participate in this realm that is controlled by the fear of death. Scripture is trying to teach us that only in this way could Jesus set us free, all of us who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Each and every one of us in some way, we have lived our lives as, as slaves to the fear of dying. Not slaves to death, but slaves to the fear of dying. This is why the cross is so significant in this story. Because we look at the cross, again, it's it's sort of like the word Savior. It's been decorated with gold and jewels of religion. And we think, oh, it's a symbol that represents us. It's in our logos. It's on our letterheads. We we wear it in our jewelry. It's on our t-shirts. That's fine. I'm not against any of that. But do we understand just what what an incredible victory it is that that symbol has been changed? Because if you, if you mention the cross to uh, you know, first century Roman citizens, and you're never going to do that because you're never going to meet one, okay? Uh, because they're dead. And, but the point, you get my point that if you mention this in that world, if this was to come up, the subject of the cross, it would not make sense. Here's what one of those early Roman citizens said. He said, when we crucify criminals, the most frequented roads are chosen where the greatest number of people can look and be seized by this fear. For every punishment has less to do with the offense than with the example. That's not a church writer putting that down. That's that's not someone trying to be very religious. That's a rather educated Roman saying, look. You, know, you don't crucify someone back off in the woods where no one's going to see it. You know, Let's have a secret crucifixion. No one will know about it. No. You put it out on the roads where it can be seen. It's a signpost. It's a visible memo to the world that says, Ha-ha, we've scared you. You do not mess with Rome. Don't do this. That is the power of the fear of dying. That is the power of the fear of dying. Of shame. Empires, leaders, rulers, you and I, we use symbols of death to frighten people and to frighten them with death for our own good reasons. You know, one of the, an example of that now is that, you know, you'll see I mean, people will have signs on their house that says, this house protected by Smith and Wesson, you know. And that, that's, they're, they're, you know, they are not, that's not Wesson as in Wesson oil. That's, that's the, uh, that, that's gun manufacturers. You know, the idea is, uh, you know, trespassers will be shot, you know, and uh, survivors will be shot again. The, uh, 
the, the message that we put out there is, you leave me alone and we will use the power of death. Now, I get it. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting into the politics of this. certainly don't want to get into Second Amendment talk or anything like that. Well, we do it not just with Second Amendment. We do it with our, our animals. You know, beware of the attack dog. You know, forget the dog. Beware of the owner. We use this language all the time. Where I grew up, there was a uh, house down at the bottom of our hill. And um, the, um, the two women that lived in that house had this huge sign on their fence. They had an immaculate, the house was, was awesome. They had wonderful, beautiful little house, a garden and everything. And there was a sign that said, beware of dog. And it was, it was one of the most frightening signs that you would ever see. Well, one day we saw the dog. It was this Big. I, I could, it was barely as big as my, as my uh, you know, I could hold it. It was like a basketball. And it kind of looked like a basketball, a white, fuzzy basketball. And, and it sounded like a basketball if you stuck it with a knife and the air started hissing out. That's what the little dog sounded like. You know, it was about that shrill. And, uh, and I thought, that's either a really mean dog or the two old ladies are having a joke on us all and we never, we never, caught the punchline we use that kind of language and we have throughout history we've used threats and fear to make people come into line did you notice that Christ never does that Christ doesn't have to threaten us to follow him Christ never says you better follow me and if you don't I'll I'll have you one day you cross me and you'll pay for it. Now, now we've done that up in the preaching. You better get on Jesus' side because you don't want to be here when he gets back. He's already here. He's coming back, but he's already here. His presence is with us. So why do, why do we do that? Because I think we are so used to living in a land and where the law of the land is the rule of of the fear of death. In fact, you know, I know that I could be a really effective preacher if every Sunday, well, no, I don't know I'd be an effective preacher, but boy, I could get a lot of you baptized if I made you so scared that every day you didn't know that even after being baptized 20 times and we cover you up in scripture and holy oil and everything else, and if I said, I still don't know if you're going to heaven, because I'm telling you, God loves to send people to hell, and you are on the top of his list. And what has that sort of approach done for us? If you know that you have sins that are not dealt with, and it's hurting you, and it's hurting others, and it offends God, then do something about it. Get rescued by the one who can rescue you from that. For all the rest of us (laughs) who have sins, what I want you to know is Jesus broke the power of the devil so that that sin, past, present, or future, does not get to define you. So that you are defined as God's child. And that sin, he can, he can deal with it. He can help you with it. In fact, you probably can't do much about it yourself. 
but he can. See, what Jesus does is he, he, he turns that cross and changes that cross. It, it, it does not become the symbol of threat and fear that the Roman government or the Jewish leaders or anybody else ever wanted it to be. Because Jesus, the only reason Jesus is on that cross is not because the Jewish leaders won. It's not because the Roman government is more powerful. It's not because the devil won. Jesus is on that cross because he chooses to be there. And that's not easy. But that's self-sacrifice and that makes it different. No one goes to a cross willingly. His Love and desire, and not, not just a mushy, sloppy, agape love, but his passion to rescue a world tortured by sin is what takes him to that moment. And because of that, he breaks the evil one's rule of death. That's how you destroy the devil's work. What comes out of that are a couple of things, two things I want to mention. One is liberation, what we just said there. Only in this way could he set free all of us who've lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You see, once you realize that Jesus did that, and then God raised him, I mean, first, it's enough that he did that. Then he raised him and exalted him and gave him the authority that the devil stole away. Now, if you're one of his followers, you have to look at things differently. His followers, wherever they are in space and time, can say, you know, if we do this, people are going to come to get us. Our king was resurrected. He has the power over death. People can kill us, but they cannot destroy us. I mean, this, is, this changes everything. You can't, you cannot touch people who follow a risen savior he's the he's the one that we should care about let's 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 please him let's be obedient to him yeah but what about our obligation to all these people our obligation is to be like him in the way he was to them and that will be enough and we don't have to fear death that's that's one of the things that comes out of this the second thing that comes out of this is we're not left alone in this now we've got a high priest. Now, and that, that, that may not make sense to us because, you know, we're, we're used to having preachers, not priests. We're used to having ministers, not pastors or reverends. Or, I always love it because people always ask me, you know, wherever I go, you know, how do we introduce you? Uh, I got three names you can choose from. There's Christopher, there's Paul, no one will know who that is, and then there's Benjamin. But the first two, either one of them will work. Yes, but what's your title? Title. Well, how do we show you respect? Oh, just be kind to me, you know. Maybe, maybe buy my lunch. That'd be great. You know, but what about, what about, your, what about the honor, you know? And I, go, I, I, get, I get it, I get it, I get it, you know, because you have to know whether or not somebody is a, a right reverend or a left reverend or, a, you know, or whatever it is. I got one title, doctor, it's store-bought, that'll do. And we're not used to having priests, but when you have a priest, there's something to be said about having a priest. You see, in ancient cultures, you have a priest because you need someone to take care of this stuff. In fact, 
the way that ancient cultures treated a priest is about the way you and I treat having a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. You know? It really is. I mean, you're going to get sick with stuff, and you're going to say, you know, most stuff, you're like, okay, I can do some fruits and vegetables, drink some orange juice, you know, I'm good, I'm good, take, you know, take a few aspirin, stuff like that. But there's some things you get, and you've got to go to somebody who knows their stuff and say, hey, I need help because I am really sick, and that physician is going to know some things that you don't know. Or you're going to get into some trouble or you're going to have some problems with other people and the law is going to be invoked and you're going to say, hey, I I need somebody who understands the law. And I'll tell you, every lawyer that that, that I know tells me this is, is that, guess what? The law is not logical. You know, I mean, th- things that you and I would think, well, th- th- that's, that's just common sense, isn't it? Yeah, but law doesn't always work that way. You have to understand what's happening here. It takes an expert. And this is tax season, and any of you who are brave enough to do your own taxes, go for it. But um, there are things involved in accounting and money in the IRS that, boy, we're glad when we have an accountant to take. I am so thankful that this church has people who are gifted in that way to take care of that, and I don't ever have to touch the money. Thank you, Lord. But See, that's why you have a priest, because you've got somebody. It's like, we don't know what happens when he goes back there to that holy of holies and starts sacrificing animals, but I'm glad I don't have to do that. It's good for me, but I'm glad I don't have to do that. And I'm going to support it. And here's the thing. I got one store-bought title, and it's not priest. I am not your priest. Oh, I may know some things. I may have studied some things, and that's all fine and good and well. And that can, we can have some great conversations. But your priest is my priest, too. The high priest, Jesus Christ. I mean, we've got somebody who has an in with the Father. And he's experienced death. He has suffered. And that's the thing you want from your priest. You want your priest to be able to, 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 to understand what you've been through. Because it's good sometimes when that priest says, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes it's great to hear somebody say that. It's like, yeah, okay, okay. Our high priest is able to rescue us. Now, there's some, there's some history going on in this statement in Hebrews. You see, in, in, in Israel, when they're setting up the whole system with the tabernacle and the priest, just, just read the beginning of Leviticus. And, 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 and I, you know what? I'll, I'll give you a pass. You don't have to read all of Leviticus. I know. You, know, you should, but you don't have to. All right, you can still go to heaven if you don't read all of Leviticus. Uh, you get into all that stuff about mold and mildew and all that, and you, 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 know, you think you'll be reading the back of a container of bleach. Okay, don't worry about that. You, what you need to read, though, is the first chapter. You do need to read the first chapter. And they're setting all this up, and, and God is telling them, now listen, we're going to work out a relationship here and how you can come and spend some time with me so that I can help you be the people that you need to be. First thing we got to do is we got to deal with this sin thing Because as it is, well, you're full of sin and you'll probably die if you get around my holiness. So we've got to do something about that. Here's how we're going to do it. It's kind of a, you know, it's not elegant, but it's a a patch and it'll get us through until we've got a better plan. And, and, And here it is. 
you're going to take an animal for sacrifice, and you're going to put your hands on that animal, okay? And that's sort of like you're saying, all my sins are going into this animal. And, and, if, you're, and if you're still struggling with that, and you're thinking, how, how does that happen, though? How does that, how does that really happen? Well, if you want to continue to be difficult about it, it's sort of like when you were in third grade and you got cooties by touching someone, you know? It was like the cooties go away. It's all you're transferring that, that animal steps in as the, as the substitute sacrifice. The sins are transferred. It's, it's, it's being seen as everyone, as the priest, lays his hands on the head, says the right words, everything's done right, Okay? And if you're thinking, I don't know, there's something that kind of falls short in that. It just doesn't seem quite satisfying. Well, it's not. And, and year after year, it wasn't. And read Hebrews. That's kind of what's being said. But now it's interesting that Jesus steps into that role both as priest and sacrifice. But there's a big difference. You ready? Big difference. First, or not first John, in John, in John the first chapter, verse 29 John the Baptist is preaching, and he's preaching about the Messiah, and he sees Jesus, and he says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, it's one thing if I pull up some animal as, the, as your priest, and I decide I'm going to put the sins of the people on its head, and I'm going to say, okay, this little animal is, you know, he's taking in all of our sins. Do you know what that animal is thinking while we're doing that? Nothing. Nothing. He's not thinking anything. Thinking this is nice, you know, whatever, nothing. But what if the sacrifice can come up and not wait for us to put our sins on it, but he takes them away from us, puts his hands on us and says, give me the sins, I can take this. That's the difference with the sacrifice our high priest makes. Some of us are reading that scripture there in Hebrews and we're thinking, yeah, but now wait, if it's a propitiation, then it's this. And if it's an expiation, it's this. You know what it is? It's a sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that works. That's what it is. And because of that now, the high priest who can actually not wait for us to throw our sins off on him, but he can take them away and break the power of sin and break the power of the fear of death, now he who has gone through the same suffering is able to rescue us when we're being tested. Sometimes we read that as he is able to help us when we're being tempted or tested. That's, that's a good translation. But I don't want anyone leaving here thinking that what that sentence means is Jesus is the friend, the friend next to you, and he'll give you a pat on the back. I'm going through some hard times, going through real difficult times. Well, Jesus is able to help us. Pat on the back. Oh, there, there. That's not the case. It's much more than that. This is what it means to be a savior. That word, help, is the word that's used. When the champion's army comes to the rescue of a city that's being besieged by the invaders, that word is the word that is used. When God comes to the rescue of people who are crying out for liberation, that's what that word is. That means that Jesus knows what you're going through, and he is willing to help you. The question for us is, if he's able, are we willing to accept that? He's a savior, 
but can we admit that we need to be saved? Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would bless us to trust in you. You are our merciful and faithful high priest. And Father, even if we don't understand all of this, we we know that we can trust in you. That you can rescue us when we're being tempted. That you have broken the rule of death. And so Father, in whatever way we can demonstrate our trust in you and worship you rather than bow down to the fear of death, in all the ways that the evil one tricks us to do that, thinking that we're being righteous in doing so. Father, free us from that delusion. Free us from that evil. I ask this in the name of our high priest and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, we're going to sing this song. I want the Guatemala team to come up here and be ready to be sent out today with a blessing. And maybe you have some other reason to come to these elders and, or meet them in room 100. That's fine. You're welcome to come up too. Let's stand and sing.